0: Hey there, are you sick and tired of feeling sick and tired? Join Adol Kazilski and Faggy Stern as they explore ways to reverse chronic illness and achieve vibrant health. Your health is your only wealth and together we can be better. Hashtag healthy you, wealthy you. And a beautiful good morning to
1: listeners and Good morning to you, faggy Good morning, Adel. Oh, welcome, welcome. And you know, one of the things that uh, we have been speaking about a lot this year, obviously in our show, is about living healthy and trying to find alternative ways um, to to better our health. And unfortunately, and I think the word is unfortunate, we have landed up like being so consumed about COVID and everything about COVID. That a lot of other, um, uh, diseases and diseases that actually kill, and I think maybe, and I'm, will stand to be corrected by our guest, maybe kill more than COVID, um, have, have been absolutely ignored. And so today we're going to go and talk again to, uh, Dr. Riaz Matara, who has, uh, given us many, many times on our show, um, unbelievable, Opinions on how to lead more healthier lives. Dr. Riaz Matara is a well-known cardiologist in Johannesburg, um, and who actually, in fact, um, runs a specific wellness center, cardiac wellness center, and and specifically looks at women, which is very, very interesting. And so today, you know, instead of talking COVID, we are going to be talking cardiac health. If you have any questions about cardiac health, whether it is hypertension whether it is cholesterol, um, anything that bothers you and how you can actually look after the health of your heart in a more natural way. Well, three four three four five one nine is the SMS number, 61 1019 is our um, telegram number. So this is the time and this is the place that we can actually start understanding what cardiac health is is all about. So a warm welcome, Dr. Matara. Thank you for joining us.
2: Good morning, Adel and Fadi. Thank you very much for having me this morning, and good morning to your listeners.
1: Great. We are going to go start speaking now all about the uh, cardiac health, and I know that the cardiac health is uh, very much connected to our endocrine system, that there's a lot that we can do to prevent uh, cardiac uh, arrest and everything else around it. Um, what we're going to do right now, in fact, because I see that we're coming up to a break, is I'm going to tell you about a important thing we need to be doing. We'll go for a break and then pick up again.
0: This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosinski and Faggy Stern.
1: We're discussing cardiac health today, and if the, you just do a little bit of a Google around cardiac health, um, quite shockingly, but I think knowingly, um, it's, it seems that cardiovascular disease and um, heart and blood vessel disorders remains the leading cause of premature death. In fact, one in every four uh, people will have some type of uh, cardiac, uh, cardiac situation, And it is something that I think has been on the increase if I am, if I'm, if I'm standing to be corrected and something that is, that, that we need to really look at because gee, just the other day I was uh, talking to a client. I heard that a 37 year old um, associate landed up in hospital with a heart attack and that's really quite frightening. You kind of like think that heart attacks belong to very old people at the end of their lives. So we need to actually unpack this whole story about heart health, and what we can do to prevent it, and most importantly, how we can do it naturally. Because I think that one of the, the 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 ways that we are treating cardiac health is that, you know, you start with your high blood pressure, and you start with your cholesterol, you just get stuck on medication, and then you just hope for the best, uh, that you don't get yourself into trouble, though many, many times... Uh, you find out, you know, five years later, two years later, ten years later, you're still visiting the cardiologist and you're still now going for stents and all sorts of stuff that is really putting you at risk. So, Dr. Matora, as a an introduction, is, is my analysis of the situation right? Is it worse? Is it better? Did I say anything wrong?
2: So, 100% I completely right. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, heart disease is probably... You know, um, one of the commonest conditions that causes illness. And the problem is that many people think that when they're too young, it's not going to affect them. In fact, we know from studies from the last 30 or 40 years that cholesterol plaques already start in your teenage years. So it's not something that that starts later on in life. It may present later in life for the majority of patients. But it can start earlier. And the interesting statistic is that more women die from heart attacks than men do. Yet many people don't know that. You know, So 1 in 40 women uh, may have breast cancer or suffer from breast cancer. Uh, but 1 in 4 women die from a heart attack. And heart attacks kill more women than all female cancers put together.
1: Geez, that's quite a frightening statistic. You know why? Why? Why is it that we don't we don't hear that? in You know, in in the media or or we were informed about that.
2: So I think it's it, it's a combination of of factors. You know, many doctors don't believe, or we were always taught that it's a predominantly male issue, and many doctors don't think of screening women. Uh, we also know that prior to the menopause, women are generally uh, protected, so we don't look earlier, yet as you said earlier, um, you know our lifestyle that we lead today the diet that we consume uh, the emotional traumas and stresses that we experience are far greater than ever so we're starting to see younger and younger patients present with this problem and in fact my youngest patient is 16 uh, that presented with a heart attack that's why
3: <laughs> How then do we do we actually go about you know looking after ourselves or making sure that we prevent ourselves from getting to that stage at at a young age?
2: So I think we need to you know for for many patients, Edel, uh and Peggy, I think you have to get to the why first. Why do we actually get heart attacks in the first place? Remember that the heart attack is the effect. Or the consequence of something that started a long time ago. And, you know, the traditional approach to treating and approaching patients uh, with heart attacks or heart disease was simply to put patients onto aspirin and to cholesterol-lowering tablet. Yet, 50% of people who have a heart attack, uh, or up to 50%, uh, actually have normal cholesterol levels. So there are many other factors that uh, contribute towards that risk that we don't look for in our patients. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, I think, you know, it, it will involve a re-education of, of doctors of understanding the new modern risk factors and also making patients like you're doing today aware of what those risk factors are.
3: Are you able to then help us explain what The cholesterol is And the good cholesterol The bad cholesterol Like you were telling us A story the other day About Eskimos Um, What is cholesterol And how does it affect us So
2: Remember that Cholesterol plays Many important roles In our body We need cholesterol For hormone production For the structure of cells So In the past 20 years If you look at The guidelines In terms of Who needs to be treated For a high cholesterol Every two years, they put us in a room, and they try and get us to say lower is better. But, you know, we still, despite the fact that we drop the cholesterol levels to very low, patients are still having heart attacks. So you have to take cholesterol and say, why is it that in some people it causes a problem and in other people it doesn't? And it really boils down to not necessarily good and bad, but what we call the oxidized form of the cholesterol, or oxidation would be another word for inflammation. Now, we talked about inflammation previously, and it's the same causes of inflammation, abnormal gut health, uh, gingivitis, uh, smoking, uh, diabetes, any of these chronic conditions increase the level of low-grade inflammation in our body, And that inflammation takes the cholesterol molecule and makes it small and dense and inflamed and sticky. So it allows it then to stick to the lining of our artery. And if you don't address the cause of the inflammation, that process carries on despite the fact that you're on cholesterol treatment. So it needs a combination of, of factors. And simply taking cholesterol medication is not going to address the risk.
3: And then naturally, how are we able to
2: look after our cholesterol? So, one is looking at the food that we consume or the type of fat. Now, remember that many years ago, the American Surgeon General got up on a podium and said, we need to eat a low-fat or a fat-free diet. Now, that was probably one of the biggest crimes I believe, in humanity because... You can't. Fat is not necessarily bad for you. It's the type of fat that we consume. So, uh, in the last 50 years or 70 years, uh, the fat we're consuming far too much omega-6 pro-inflammatory fats and very little omega-3 anti-inflammatory fats. So, omega-6 comes from Seed oils, such as sunflower oil and canola oil and margarine, and mainly from grain-fed animal protein. So if a cow eats grain, which it's not designed to do, you know, the amount of omega-6 fat is 80 to 100 times more than a cow that would eat or consume grass. Now, we consume that fat, and that fat is what then oxidizes or inflames our cholesterol in our body, and then causes the problem. So uh, I think if you're going to be looking at your diet and looking at cholesterol, then if you consume grass-fed animal protein and have more omega-3 rich fats in your diet, you're less likely to have a cholesterol problem uh, that's going to cause plaque or buildup of plaque in your arteries.
1: Can we just stop over here? I want after the break to just actually unpack a little bit more this LDL and HDL ratio and then the, the, the cumulative reading like it's always baffled me. Um, but we need to go for a little bit of a break before we do.
0: This is the Healthy You Wealthy You Show with Adol Kosilski and Fagie Stern.
1: We're discussing our hearts right now, and we're discussing the element of cholesterol, Dr. Matoro. I've always been confused, and I, I check my cholesterol every single every single year, sometimes twice a year. And I know that, you know, the cholesterol checking now has become quite 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 expensive, and you end up getting a figure of your total cholesterol. Then you've got your uh, your your bad cholesterol, your good cholesterol. Then, then there's another reading. Can you take our listeners? Through that so that we can understand for me myself, I have a good cholesterol reading, but my ratio of good to bad looks, looks, doesn't look so healthy. So how does this whole thing work and how can we understand it? It's
2: a very good uh, question, Adel. So um, you'll get a reading of your total cholesterol and that looks at the, you know, the combination of good and bad uh, and other little facts. (coughs) Excuse me. And then, you got, let me explain what is good and bad cholesterol, what people refer to as good and bad cholesterol. So when we consume a meal of fat, uh, that cholesterol needs to be transported to the liver and then transported elsewhere or back to the liver once the, once it's reached, reached the tissues and you don't need that excess fat. So the LDL is the little truck that takes these cholesterol packages from the liver to all the other parts of the body. Once the body has used that cholesterol or doesn't have a need for the excess cholesterol, HDL is a different type of truck that then brings it back to the liver uh, in order for it to be reprocessed. And then we have a form of fat called triglycerides that you would see on your cholesterol profile, and these are big fats. So if you imagine what it looks like to have oil and water, that's what triglycerides would look like in the, in the blood. And you want to try and... Uh, so that's the first component of your cholesterol profile. What they don't test is to look to see if you have the sticky form of the cholesterol in your blood. So although your cholesterol profile can be perfectly normal and within the range, you, your sticky cholesterol or what we call your small, dense LDL, can still be behind and causing a problem. Now that test is now routinely available at most laboratories, and you can probably far more important than looking at only uh, your HDL and LDL on its own. So it's, it's, you have to look at it in totality. And the other important test to look at with your cholesterol profile is something called an HSCRP, or highly sensitive C-reactive protein. And this is a marker of micro-inflammation in your body. And you want that value as low as possible, because the more inflammation there is in your body over a long period of time, the more you change the cholesterol into a sticky form, that's able to penetrate the lining of the artery and cause the problem.
1: So, just in terms of, so, again, when you're having your cholesterol checked um, and you've got a normal cholesterol reading and they go, well, you don't need, you know, cholesterol tablets, even though your HDL and LDL is a little wacko, does, does that make sense? Like, I'm still somewhat confused as to, when do, you, you're telling us to go look at the CRP, which is our inflammation marker, and that other test for, 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 for the stickiness there, that really is the indication of, 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 of a pending cardiac problem. Am I correct, or am I still not understanding?
2: No, so that's, that's correct, Adam. So you want to look at the patient as a whole and individualize it. So a lot would depend on what else is, uh, going on with the patient. So if, for example, the patient is diabetic, they're very overweight, they have high blood pressure, they have a strong family history of heart disease, then looking at that cholesterol profile would be a little bit different than looking at a cholesterol profile in an 18-year-old who is otherwise fit and healthy and has no additional risk factors. So for me, when you look at the cholesterol profile, you want to look at it in context, firstly, of what's wrong with the patient, and then you want to look at one or two other parameters, such as the CRP and the small dense LDL or the sticky form of the cholesterol, so that you can make an informed decision about taking long-term cholesterol therapy because they also come with their own risks and side effects when you use these drugs. And many doctors and many patients are on very high dosages of these drugs, which is not necessarily the case or should be the case.
3: Right. Right. I was once explained by a woman in a health shop that cholesterol is almost like, you know, you have pipes and then there's a lot of grease on the sides of the pipe that almost have to be cleaned down. Um, And she explained how even fiber makes a huge difference to literally scrape it off. Does fiber help the cholesterol as well?
2: No. So fiber works a little bit differently. So fiber... Uh, in your gut, you know, may uh, reduce the absorption of, of, uh, of fat. But again, you know, fats and proteins and sugars all generally get absor- broken down and absorbed into the blood. Once it's in the blood, the fiber doesn't necessarily have any fat on that cholesterol. So it's not so much about the cholesterol, but the type of cholesterol that we have. Now we were always taught that it's the good and the bad and the good and the bad, and this is where we get caught out, because as I said earlier, you can have perfectly normal good and so-called good and bad cholesterol, but the problem is still happening within your arteries. So the most important factor to address is this concept of chronic low-grade inflammation in the lining of our arteries, and we can measure that so simply uh, today with, with, you know, with a very cost effective test called the CRP.
1: So, okay, so it's all about inflammation, 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 and inflammation. and um, that really is the basis of probably a lot of, uh, almost all our diseases today.
2: That's 100% correct again, Edel. So remember, um, we talked about this previously, is that When you have acute inflammation like a bee sting or a snake bite, the body always attempts to heal that. So the local area is red, it's swollen, and that's the body's attempt at localizing a toxin. And that's a good thing. But when we're faced with chronic inflammation that is going on for many months or years and it's in this very low-grade form of inflammation that we can't really detect, our body still attempts to heal that inflammation. The body can't ignore it. And it's the healing response or the attempted healing response by the body over a long period of time that will actually then create the problem. So it's the healing response gone wrong uh, that causes the problem. And we were always taught by our professors that it's the inflamed plaque That always ruptures to cause the heart attack. Almost never the chronic stable calcified or hard block. So we were the word inflammation gets used, but we forget about what we need to do about that inflammation.
1: So let's. I've got like so many questions to ask you then. But let's just go on on to hypertension just for a while because I think it just goes hand in hand. It kind of like like they're they're husband and wife, you know, you get your high blood pressure and then you've got your cholesterol (laughs) and then you walk walk down that path. Like what causes high blood pressure? What I've understood, um again just in me trying to understand is that high blood pressure is not an illness. It's simply a, a a a symptom of your body not being able to cope, either um, with the pressure too much or too little in in delivering blood around, and it's not it's not a, a sickness in and of itself. Is that right or wrong?
2: So partially correct. So all that hypertension is is a high resistance to the forward flow of blood, meaning you've got a tube that's now narrower, and the heart has to pump this blood through a narrower tube, and against a high resistance, and that's what pushes up your blood pressure. So what happens here if you go back to, you know, anatomy, the artery is made of three layers. It's got an inner layer that's one cell layer thick. It's got a muscle layer and then a layer outside that keeps everything together. And that's why when you feel your pulse, you can feel it as a pulsation going up and down. That's the muscle layer contracting and relaxing, So you can almost think of an artery as the extension of your heart. It's a bigger, it's a much tinier, simpler version of your heart where it's contracting and relaxing with each heartbeat. Now, when we're exposed to long-term emotional trauma, as an example, and lots of environmental stress, we end up having, similar to the concept of having this long-term inflammation, We have very high adrenaline levels floating around in our blood for long periods of time. And simply the body thinks, well, so what does adrenaline do? It constricts the blood vessels to move blood to vital organs because that's what happens when we are threatened. Now that's okay again in the acute situation when a lion's about to jump onto your back saves your life. But when we have this long term adrenaline, floating around in our blood, it keeps the arteries narrower and constricted. And the body simply thinks, well, I can't have that because this artery could potentially rupture. So the body then, as a healing response, starts to thicken the muscle layer of those arteries. Mm. And then the artery becomes thicker and less compliant and less are able to expand and contract and relax and contract, and now it is permanently narrowed in that fashion. And that's what we call high blood pressure. Okay, So when you go to your doctor, they'll say, well, 95% of the time we don't know what causes high blood pressure. But if you look at patients, and patients will tell you that they've had this long-term emotional trauma or stress and then they develop hypertension. And then we put patients onto medication, which is the right thing to do, but we haven't got to the why and the when of it all starting.
1: Right, right. I mean, obviously, high blood pressure is not something that you play around with and go and say, oh, well, I've got a blood pressure of 180 or 120, and, you know, I'm going to start asking the question why. You take the the, the medication to start bringing it down, and then – you know, like start investigating, you know, what, what, what is, what is the cause behind it?
2: Absolutely.
3: Okay. But so one way of obviously, I mean, you talk about stress a lot and obviously stress has to do with everything. And you talk about lions chasing us in a way it might be safer for us to be living in a jungle. Um, but how, how exactly does it work? Are you, you're talking bringing the stress levels down is obviously crucial. Exercising, learning how to manage stress.
2: Yeah, so this is often a difficult one because this is, um, you know, this involves lifestyle changes and probably mo- most importantly uh, is teaching people how to deal with the, with the, with these various stresses. I think we're living in a time now more than ever with you know with this whole COVID crisis uh, on top of a whole lot of other. Uh, baseline stress that we're just going to see more and more and more of these chronic illnesses. So, and we haven't learned as a species how to effectively deal with stress and deal with long-term fear that is stored in our subconscious.
1: So, maybe, maybe help help our listeners understand how can we deal with it? How how can we go about in a a non-medication way, what, what are the key factors that we need to implement into our lives to keep that stress down, to keep that blood pressure down, you know, um, and, and, and try and maintain a, a, a
2: better equilibrium, so to speak. So yes, so it involves, I would say, you know, you need a holistic approach to your well-being. So one, obviously you're going to follow the right diet, which I think most people know about. So just simply, Cut down on the amount of refined sugar and, and, uh, and salt in your diet. Um, have more omega-3 rich fats in your food and try to replace as many of the micronutrients that we're not getting in our fruit and vegetables. That's on the dietary and the nutritional side. Exercise is a very complicated process. Many people think that they need to go and do high-intensity exercises uh, and gym every single day. But if you look to nature, you don't see a lion get up in the morning and say, well, today I think I should go for a jog because it's (laughs) wet and tear on our body. So we should rather be talking about movement rather than exercise. As a species, we were designed to move. So yoga, stretching, Pilates, uh, high-frequency but low-intensity exercises like walking, or jogging at a more constant pace, but for a longer duration of time. So those types of exercises generally would not put more stress on our nervous system that's already high from all the emotional trauma and stress that we have. So remember that exercise is still a form of stress. How does our heart rate go up when we're exercising? It's adrenaline that's driving it. So if you already have higher adrenaline levels floating around in your blood and you now go and do an aerobics class or a high intensity class, you're just pushing the adrenaline even higher and it's going to make the process worse.
3: Would so, that then explain someone, sorry, that is very fit, eats really well, goes to the gym, runs on a treadmill and has a heart attack?
2: So yes, so, so it eventually will may or may precipitate a little block from, from, from rupturing. So I'm saying for the vast majority of people out there who feel tired and, uh, and, and can't cope and are stressed, the first thing they think they need to do is actually go out and exercise. And that's probably the worst thing that you can do without actually being assessed first. So all you're going to do is push that adrenaline levels up more and make the entire process worse. So high-frequency but lower-intensity exercises, stretching, uh, things like uh, Pilates, uh, yoga, are far more safer okay, than doing high-intensity exercises without realizing what's actually going on with your nervous system in your body. And then probably the third and probably most important pillar is to... Look to see how you can bring down those adrenaline levels that are chronically elevated. Now, there's a number of of things you can do. One, walking bare feet on the grass for at least 10 to 15 minutes a day, where you ground your body with the, sort of, Earth's magnetic field. That's been shown to help. Uh, Having a hot shower followed by 30 seconds of a cool shower. Uh, Meditation helps. But probably the most important thing that people can do is learning how to breathe in the right way. Mm-hmm. So, wow.
1: it's, you've touched, you've actually touched on like, let's talk about this and let's talk about that. <laughs> and let's talk about that. I'm going to uh, stop you right now because yes, I want to talk about, you know, um, all of those things. Um, and I, I'm actually quite gobsmacked that you even spoke about walking barefoot. Outside, because that was something that 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 I looked into, and I thought, oh, you know, maybe it's just you know a little bit of a story among some people, and I'm 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 quite like wowed by the fact that you know there is there is this type of idea. So for anyone who who would like to join this conversation, three four five one nine is the SMS number. Oh six one eight nine five. 1019 is our telegram number. We're talking with Dr. Riaz Matara about our cardiac health. And there's been some interesting things that we're bringing to the table. Don't go away. We'll be back. I think now just to discuss, I want to discuss a little bit more this idea of walking barefoot.
0: This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kazulski and Fagie Stern.
1: Dr. Matara, you touched on some, like, really, really interesting stuff, and I want to actually just have a quick discussion on 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 all of these. Let's start with this walking barefoot. You know, um, one of my family members landed up uh, having COVID and was really feeling bad. I said, you know, go outside, take off your socks and shoes, just sit in the sun, get some vitamin D, and put your barefoot on the grass. They told me that I actually needed to see a psychiatrist. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is something that many people don't know about, uh, adults. So, you know, to give it a little bit of context, remember we have a stress and an anti-stress nervous system in our body. It's called the autonomic nervous system. Okay, And because we are faced with so many stresses, like we've talked about for so many times in our environment, our adrenaline levels are always high. So what can we do to activate the anti-stress system or what we medically call the parasympathetic nervous system and you you can't, there's no medication to bring down your adrenaline so the only way that you bring down adrenaline is through activate, doing certain exercises or measures to activate the the anti-stress system and one of those would be, or studies have shown is walking bare feet on the ground. Remember, that's what we did as children. And Mm -hmm. that's what we did thousands of years ago. And remember that we are also, we are electrical beings. Okay, We have a a magnetic field around us. We have an aura around us. And so does the planet. So does everything else on the planet. And you want to be in harmony with uh, everything else around you. So walking bare feet gets you to ground your body to that of the Earth's magnetic field. And that has been shown, one of the mechanisms to show, uh, that it can activate your anti-stress nervous system.
1: Isn't that fascinating? It's um,
3: interesting how all over the world people come up with their, f- like people think that they're fads, but really they actually do help us. Like with Asman and he has his people going into ice-cold water. Um, And now, like you talk about the grass, there's something called grounding. So take off your shoes and stand on the grass for a couple of minutes a day. Um, So, I mean, people are, like it it does, it becomes like a well-known thing around the world and it becomes this huge, you know, go to someone and spend all this money just to jump into ice water where we can literally be jumping into our swimming pool daily.
2: Correct. And I mean, if you look at people like uh, Wim Hof, and Lawrence Pugh that many people will know of that uh, you know, walking shorts and no tops uh, in the Arctic and jumping to the Arctic Ocean and have sw- swim for 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes without anything happening to their body. How do they do that? Because if you and I jump into that Arctic Ocean, we would literally die. Okay. So how do you do that? And what they able to do through specific uh, breathing exercises is to drop that adrenaline response and their heart rate in response to stress. Now, when we are all stressed and have high adrenaline levels, we tend to breathe in a very shallow fashion in the upper part of our chest, and then we cross our arms across our chest, and you're literally closing down the ribs so your lungs don't expand fully. And the way to breathe to activate the anti-stress nervous system is to breathe with your diaphragm. So when you take a deep breath in, expand your tummy. And when you breathe out, let your tummy fall back onto your spine. So normally we breathe in the opposite way. And when you breathe with your diaphragm, you expand your entire lung cavities, and that has been shown to also activate uh, the anti-stress nervous system.
1: Okay, so we've spoken about walking barefoot, which is very, very easy. Okay, um, and 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 connecting. And I think the reflexologists um, would love that also because you know they go and say, particularly now that you know we're coming to summer and maybe a lot of us are going to be round round the coast to just go and walk barefoot. Um, on the sand gives a good massage to the bottom of your feet and, uh, you know, uh, you, you get a free re- reflexology uh, a treatment. You also get a, a free grounding treatment. Let's just talk a little bit um, about breath. Um, how can somebody inside their own homes just, you know, take out 10 or 15 minutes of their time and do, can, can they do something with breath in order to, to uh, get this response, this adrenaline response to come down?
2: Yes, it's so easy. All you need to do is um, you need ten minutes of your time. Uh lie down on a bed or lie down on the floor, or even just sit in a chair. Okay, it's probably easier to lie when you're lying down to do this. And close your eyes, feel your body relax, and take a deep breath in uh through your nose. And when you take a deep breath in, push your tummy out, feel your diaphragm. Expanding, and as you breathe, breathe out through your mouth. And as you do that, you'll feel that your tummy is falling back onto your spine. And initially, it's a little uncoordinated, and you feel like, Wow, this is weird, it feels a bit difficult to do that. Okay, and if you just concentrate or focus on breathing with your diaphragm. Expanding your lungs, feeling your entire chest expanding, diaphragm moving out, tummy moving up, and as you breathe out through your mouth, let your tummy fall back onto your spine, and do that for 10 minutes, and see what, how amazing you feel after that 10 minutes.
1: What happens when some, like I was trying to do a little bit of this Winhof method, you know, and he actually has a, like an app that you can, he teaches you how to breathe. Eventually there comes a point in time where you can feel a little dizzy. Is that dangerous?
2: Yes. So you have to be very careful. So remember, guys like Wim Hof, do um, it. You need to be uh, a seasoned breathwork practitioner uh, to be able to breathe the way he breathes. Okay. So I think for us, you, you know, you don't have to get to that level of deep breathing. You want to just do it very simply in the beginning and make sure. Uh, you know that you're not going to drop your blood pressure or your heart rate too low, especially in heart patients. So can see breathwork practitioners. There are breathwork practitioners around who can help take you through that process. But you want to start slow, like everything else, and gradually uh, build up your breath fitness, so to speak.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, no, so if so someone then
3: decides to go onto this medication for their blood pressure and then they obviously want to go the natural route, they would then do all of these things. Would they eventually be able to actually come off their blood pressure medication?
2: So sometimes that's very difficult, uh, Faye, because the damage has already been done over many years, and the arteries are already permanently stiff or scarred. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, you may be able to, if you're able to reduce your weight, uh eat correctly, move in the right way, breathe in the right way. You may be able to reduce the amount of medication that you need, but sometimes it may be very difficult to come off your medication completely.
1: And I think I think that's very important that when you come into something like cardiac health, that you are under a health practitioner and that you proceed with caution and proceed with with, with information. As to what it is you need to do in order to, to heal yourself or to just make things better. We're going for a little bit of an ad break. We'll be back shortly.
0: This is the healthy you, wealthy you show with Adol Kosilski and Fagie Stern.
1: As always, time flies when you're having fun and we do not have too much time. Doctor, can we speak maybe just for a minute or two about Cardiac health in women, like you know, we were speaking initially about the fact that statistics show women tend to have more heart attacks and die of heart attacks more than men. Um, What can women do, and why do women land up in that situation?
2: So, very good question, and I think it's uh, perhaps maybe we should discuss, um, you know, why and why do women present differently? So, typically. You know, men, when they have a heart attack or if they've got a problem with their heart, will feel it in the center of a chest, in their chest. May go up into the jaw, may go down the left arm. Women present very differently with heart-related symptoms. They may present with shoulder pain, pain between the shoulder blades, uh, pain in the upper part of the abdomen. They may feel more anxious and nauseous so that many women don't get the classic symptoms of having a central chest pain right in the middle of their chest uh, underneath the uh, breastbone. So it's important for women to uh, know that the way women present is very different to that of, of men, and then to be able to check be checked regularly or after the age of 45 uh or if you've got a strong family history or if you've got any other risk factors to make sure that your heart is uh okay. And it is relatively simple to detect the problem early um, and address it and prevent the complications.
1: What is early? Like when do you believe people should start be going for screenings or going for the, the yearly checkups to go and see where they're at?
2: So, again, uh, Adel, you know, this is a difficult thing because you don't want everybody from the age of 18 now going to their cardiologist or their family practitioner um, and with the fear that they're going to suffer from a heart attack. So, for me, you have to look at your risk profile. So, if you are overweight, if you're a smoker, if you've got a strong family history, if you're short of breath when you exercise and you walk, Um, if that sticky form of cholesterol and the inflammation levels are high, then you may want to be uh, checked uh, to make sure that your heart is okay to prevent what's going to come down the line. Also remember that for women, after the menopause, they have exactly the same risk as that of a male for developing a heart attack. So uh, you have to look at the age of the patient, you have to look at their risk factor profile, uh, you have to look at their genetic history, and to decide who needs to be uh, investigated further, rather than just saying, well, everybody after the age of 30, let's look for heart disease.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Unbelievably interesting, and I certainly have have, have learned much, much more today, and uh, time as we said, is running out. <laughs> we could speak to you forever, Dr. Matara. Thank you again for all your expertise and for the, for the time that you give us on High fm in educating people to live happier and healthier lives. Um, uh, we won't be online uh, on, on, on with you again before the end of the year, so let me wish you a, a blessed new year, a healthy new year. And, uh, Fagy, I believe we've got one more before the end of, of our uh, stint this yes, week. Yes, correct. So, I look forward to seeing and to, to, to well, not seeing, I'm not, I'm not seeing you, but uh, you look great on a black screen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we will be talking again next week, which will be our final show for the year. In the meantime, everybody, have a healthy and healthy week ahead. And uh, think about your heart. It's important. It's important. Start trying to make lifestyle changes um, that allow you to, to not get yourself in the, the unfortunate situation that so many people do. Thank you again, Dr. Matara. And thank you, uh Thank you, Feige, and, uh, we'll thank
3: you all. Thank you so thank much, you. Dr. Matara. Thanks for all your time. And, again, your expertise, we really appreciate it. Thank
2: you so much, Adel and Peggy, and you know, for having me on this year. And you know, to all the listeners out there, use this time in the holidays to connect with your heart, to connect with your breath, uh, and to make a conscious decision, um, to look after your health going forward.
1: Um, amen to that. Thank you very much.